This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Amy Dunphy. Now, there are strange things happening in Britain, many of them very weird indeed. Brexit was one of them, the beginning perhaps of what you might call an exercise in nationalism inspired by the Tory party. Does it affect us? Yes, it does very much because we have our own election in the North this weekend, but the people in Northern Ireland have not had a parliament or an assembly for quite some time now, and there is no sign at the moment that they'll get one anytime soon. And it's not unrelated that the Tory party is moving rapidly, I think, to the right. And last weekend, for three days, they had something called the National Conservatism Conference. It was run by a right-wing US think tank, And they spent three days shooting the breeze, putting forward ideas. The people who ran it are the Edmund Burke group. Many of their ideas were adopted by Donald Trump in his exercise in nationalism. And indeed, throughout Europe, the move towards nationalism and populism is rapidly gaining ground. We're joined now from London by Chris Johns, Chris former chief economist with the Bank of Ireland and now a respected commentator to ask him about this. Chris, this was a very strange conference indeed. Suella Braverman made the most noise and there was big pickup on the speech he made. Michael Gove was also in attendance, as were Jacob Rees-Mogg and a few other Tory non-entities. It's very strange, Chris, But Braverman in particular seemed to be at variance with her party policy, which she, as Home Secretary, is charged with delivering. Yes, it's a very strange thing, this National Conservatism Conference. It's been going for some time. There have been similar events held in Europe and the United States since the Edmund Burke Foundation was first put together, I think, in January 2019. So it's been going for about four and a bit years. The, um, the, it was, there was a, a conference in Rome, I think, uh, a few years ago, which was, uh, didn't get much attention. Um, it was attended by at least one Conservative MP, uh, Daniel Kuczynski, um, and he was uh, roundly ticked off by his party for attending this very, very fringe, far-right event. And I think one of the things that's important to stress about this conference, and there are many things that could be said 
about this conference. It, it, it is that in the mind of the Conservative Party, it has clearly moved from being a fringe event that its MPs were told off for attending to now cabinet ministers, ex-cabinet ministers, vice chair of the Tory party, various MPs were all keynote speakers. So it's moved yes. from the absolute fringes right to being front and centre of where the Conservative Party seems to think it is today. Now, it has to be said that Michael Gove perhaps was the most interesting attendee of, of this conference because he is supposed to be the epitome of centre-right, one-nation, uh, thoughtful conservatism. And so what on earth was he doing there? Uh, Matthew Paris, who is an ex-Tory MP who writes for the London Times, um, roundly ticked off Michael Gove for attending, saying, and just had a short paragraph in a piece this week, saying, what are you doing? Why are you attending this with all of these bad boys? And that's a quote. There are various descriptions you could make of the people attending this. Bad boys is one of them. I could use all sorts of other uh, descriptions. But it was a weird event, and I think best described as um, an ongoing attempt by this Edmund Burke Foundation to essentially hijack the British Conservative Party, to take it from its roots to the absolute fringes um, of political thought. And of all people, of all people, Matt Hancock has appeared on the airwaves this week and essentially has, you know, Matt Hancock for once has called it right. And he said that if this does represent the future of the British Conservative Party, if the views expressed at this conference are typical of where the Conservative Party is headed. Um, there is no chance that we will win the next general election, he said, and there is no chance that we will elect, win an election for as long as we occupy this very strange far-right political ground. Now, I, know, I don't know whether you want to go into any of the stuff that any of the speakers said, Eamon, but we, you know, we could literally talk all day about yes. many of the speeches that were made. Well, maybe um, the highlight... Like you know, go ahead, because I think no, gonna, go you, no, I think you're going to say the highlight <laughs> is Suella Barberman. Well, I was actually going to talk about somebody called Doug Douglas Murray, and oh, we yes. could argue about what were the highlights or indeed the lowlights <laughs> of this conference. Suella Braverman talking um, uh, about uh, defining women and their genitalia was 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 quite something to to listen to. I must say. Um, the fact that she spoke at all, the fact that she associated herself with this conference um, was quite remarkable. But um, of many, many things that were said at this conference, which was a, a, a gathering of many different types, but all around themes of the family, the nation state. Um, they were There was expressions of, uh, I think, homophobia. Uh, they were religious fundamentalists of all kinds, actually. There was, there was at least one very fundamental Catholic speaker. Uh, the, the, the chairman of this Edmund Burke Foundation it seems to have his own or, a branch of Orthodox Judaism. And uh, the Guardian, um, he took the Guardian to task for, for, for accusing the conference of um, anti-Semitic dog whistles. But for me, Douglas Murray, who has a lot of form in the UK for this sort of thing, uh, stood up and made a speech about nationalism. And he said it was a great shame that the Germans had given nationalism a bad name because they mucked up twice in the, in the 20th century. Now, yes. that was jaw-dropping stuff, jaw-dropping, yes. to describe the First and Second World Wars and all that ensued from that, including but not restricted to the Holocaust, as mucking up. 
I mean, frankly, Eamon, it, it defies description and uh, Jaws on the floor is, is the only way to, to respond to that. Yes, I mean, I was struck by Suella Braverman, who is currently the Home Secretary. One of the arguments in her controversial speech was that Britain was suffering because there was, quote, a lack of babies. And that was down, and I quote again, to cultural Marxism that is systematically destroying our children's souls. Now, this is close to the bone stuff. And it seemed, and many British commentators suggested, that this really is an alternative form of Toryism. She is the Home Secretary. She was arguing against some of her own policies and indeed against some of the things her own government is said and Prime Minister are said to believe in. And the question that arose in my mind was, who can deliver for this motley crew? And the name Boris Johnson sprung to mind. And I just put this to you, Chris, and you can correct me, of course, if I'm wrong. Brexit was really a nationalist project. And the person who delivered Brexit was Boris Johnson. He could deliver anything. He doesn't have to believe in it. In fact, we know that he, he doesn't believe in it. Now, they will need a leader. No one's going to vote for Jacob Rees-Mogg if he becomes leader of the party, or Suella Braverman for that matter. Mr. Johnson may well be able to sell this stuff. Well, Johnson's political journey, of course, has been really interesting in recent years. He used to be regarded as the epitome of Tory liberalism, and uh, was regarded as being somewhat on the centre-right. He was a social liberal, um, an economic liberal. If he's joined this lot, um, then he has embarked on one heck of a journey to the far right of British politics. And Brexit yes. is perhaps the biggest uh, example of, of that journey. And one of the speakers, one of the keynote speakers of this, at this conference spoke about the, the uh, unbridled delight back in 2016, that this group felt when Britain had voted for Brexit and had put the European Union in its place. Um, one of those speakers was a guy called Kevin Roberts, who is the president of something called the Heritage Foundation in the United yes. States, some, uh, one of these far-right think tanks that's been around for a long time. And that's one of the things you've got to understand about this, is that this far-right fringe, which is much more... Uh, prevalent in the United States than we have in the United Kingdom. The Heritage Foundation, I think, has just celebrated its 50th anniversary. Now, Kevin Roberts, the president of the Heritage Foundation, spoke as a keynote speaker at this conference this week, but he's also spoken all sorts of other things. And there's something in the United States called CPAC, Conservative Party Action Committee. And uh, he spoke earlier um, this year at a CPAC in Hungary, in which he said, and this is a quote, I was honoured to speak at CPAC Hungary this week and see good friends again, including Viktor Orban. Hungary is no country for woke men. That's just as it should be. Now that, yes. I think, sets one example for the tone of this country. They, these people are in bed with people like Viktor Orban. Um, there are many other quotes that we, that we can use, but it is absolutely clear that these people see the British Conservative Party as ripe for a takeover yes. and that their policies should therefore become the manifesto of the new Conservative 
party. Whether Johnson is, is, is willing to embrace all of this remains to be seen. But I think for once, Matt Hancock is right, that if Johnson or whoever is the leader of the Conservative Party after the next general election, and we should talk a little bit about that, um, is going to take the Conservative Party to the, wilder to the wilderness. Because I, I think America and Britain are similar in, in all sorts of different ways and political trends and lots of other fashions do eventually cross the Atlantic. But I don't think this one is going to land with the British people. It will definitely appeal to a fringe grouping. We saw that this week. But I can't see a majority of the British people ever going for this. The majority of British peoples at the moment with the Conservative Party the way it is, let alone where it might go, as, as indicated by this conference, the majority, vast majority of people under 50 do not vote for Conservatives anymore. This is the real problem that they have. And in a way, the leadership of the Conservative Party is, notwithstanding the fact that they've changed leaders so many times over the course of the last 18 months, once again up for grabs. There's no suggestion that anybody is going to replace Sunak this side of the general election. They might be mad, but they're not that insane. But they are starting to position themselves for the leadership race that they assume will take place once he has lost the election. Because what happened after the local elections is the knee-jerk analysis said that, oh, that looks like it's going to be a hung parliament. Yes, and one interesting note was struck by Jacob Rees-Mogg, who increasingly seems to be wandering off into the wilderness, he wants mandatory voter ID to be introduced by the government, the Tory government, as a policy. And he said he admitted it would be an attempt to gerrymander elections in favour of the Tories. Now, coincidentally or not, one of the Republicans' most urgent tasks at the moment with the presidential election next year in 2024 in mind is mandatory voter ID, which means, of course, that the poorer people, the less tuned in people who may not have ID on, on them or may not know about this policy and may therefore be unable to vote. Jacob Rees-Mogg spoke at this conference this week and he made a couple of extraordinary remarks. The first was that he admitted quite explicitly that the um, earlier attempt to gerrymander the uh, recent local elections had failed. So it was two admissions in one. One, that gerrymandering was their objective in the UK. We've for a long time had the you know quite quaint uh, ability to just turn up at elections and say who we are. Now we need uh, photo ID. And he said that yes. that was an attempt to boost the Conservative vote because the calculation they did was that only conservative voters would typically have uh, driving licenses, passports, and the other acceptable forms of ID. It backfired because it turned out that elderly voters, who are the people who most typically vote conservative, didn't have those forms of ID. So he admitted to gerrymandering, and he also acknowledged that it had failed. So you couldn't make this stuff up. No, uh, what they did try to make up was a straw man who was put up there as the enemy, somebody who was woke left, sometimes cast as Marxist, coming for Western heritage and status, infiltrating schools and universities, in a few cases seeking to overthrow 
everything that defines Britain, and they describe the electoral challenge in arguing this <laughs> is that the primary left-wing politician in the UK is Sir Keir Starmer. Somebody, Chris, I must say, who doesn't sit, strike me as a raging revolutionary or a Marxist who's out to do, do damage to the United Kingdom. He's not a good subject for casting, is he, in that way? No, he's, he's certainly no Jeremy Corbyn, which is perhaps mm. is how they're trying, trying to paint him. Um, the, the, several people at this conference said that the countries that we all live in in the West, particularly the United States and the United Kingdom, are now neo-Marxist countries. Yes. I mean, what, what an extraordinary thing to say. And they described, as you say, they seem to hate everything about modern life and have this idea that we can return to some mythical past. In a way, that was the, me that was the same message that Brexit, for example, but also Donald Trump has tried yes. to peddle in, in the United States. So yeah, they, they remind me very much of 1970s style, 1980s style as well, uh, hard left momentum entryists into the Labour yes. Party in Britain. It seems that the right now have their own version of hard left momentum. And it took the Labour Party a generation to rid itself of this uh, the te militant tendency, as they call themselves, that in the end, I suppose, had its epitome with, uh, with Jeremy Corbyn himself. And now Keir Starmer is ruthlessly getting rid of all remnants of that hard left tendency. But it, you might remember, Eamon, from, from the 1970s, the hard left always said that socialist nirvana is just around the corner if only the Labour Party could become a proper socialist Marxist party. This is what this new lot are saying about the Tories, that the, the conservative sunny uplands are only just around the corner if we embrace the nation state, we embrace the family, we embrace fundamental religion, we give up on all this woke nonsense and a whole list of other crazy ideas. And But as, you, as we have said, if the Conservative Party goes down this route, unlike the United States, I don't think that there is a big constituency yes. at large in the country for this kind of, frankly, wingnut craziness. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Just a couple of things on that, Chris. If you look at Orban in Hungary, if you look at Georgia Maloney, who is now the Prime Minister of Italy, she's a fan of Putin's, although she has not supported the Ukraine war or invasion. There is around Europe now, I mean, Sweden, Denmark, places where social democracy was embedded theoretically forever. All of those people are moving to the right. Immigration appears to be one of the great catalysts for this and a feeling a nostalgia for an old past, as you said, that never existed. I want to ask you, Chris, you live there. Is the British nation ready? Are the British people ready for that kind of cheap populism? I can't see it, really, because whenever it's been tried, it hasn't really worked, has it? No, it hasn't. And I certainly hope that the British people are not ready for this. It clearly has an audience. A version of this stuff did play out during the Brexit referendum, and we know how that yes. ended up. And what I would say to you is that if this does gain a significant foothold in British politics, or indeed in any other country, then all of our experiments with social democracy, with progressivism, with centrism, frankly, is, yes. is, it's over. And that this does represent, a, you know, a, a significant threat to, to to what most of us seem to believe in. One of the uh, uh, speakers at this conference spoke about the um, philosophical movement from a few hundred years ago called the Enlightenment. Um, you might, you, I you do might, indeed. I'm yeah. a child of the Enlightenment. Yes. And we're we're, we're we're all all of us centrists, whether centre right or centre left. I think would pay homage to the Enlightenment. But one of the speakers at this conference talked about that as being a complete wrong turn for yes. the West, and that we need to reject Enlightenment values. This is how fundamentalist they are, and so. I, as I say, in answer to your question, I certainly hope and I do believe that they will not gain anything other than a fringe vote in the UK. But if they do gain a significant, uh, 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 get significant appeal, then an awful lot of the things that you and I have taken for granted all of our political lives are out the window. Yes, and uh, populism, you could look at our own country here and see that Sinn Féin is the largest party in terms of popular support in the country, and they could be 
arguably said to be populists as well. The question, I suppose, that is difficult to answer is the degree to which Britain has changed. I mean, they did vote for Brexit, and even now, the latest poll shows that 56% think Brexit was a mistake. But I think there was a poll a month or two ago that showed that number in the, in the mid-60s. So there does appear, I mean, Europe is a target. The, the European Union, they hate. Now, the European Union, I'm a Eurosceptic. In other words, I think there's democratic problems with the EU. But it certainly is, compared to this stuff, a bastion of sanity. There's a difference between saying that you have problems with some of the things that the European Union does and describing it as a neo-Marxist globalist conspiracy against the people, which is what this conference very explicitly called the European Union. Now, there's all sorts of things going on there. Um, the, the, the chairman of the Edmund Burke Foundation took The Guardian to task this week for asking the question of this conference, the continued use of the words globalist, conspiracy, um, neo-Marxist, cultural hegemony, um, are in fact, are they in fact anti-Semitic dog whistles? And it was a very, right. very careful article saying that the context in which describing somebody as, as a global Marxist or a globalist, all of these things are often, they indeed are anti-Semitic dog whistles. If somebody uses them thoughtlessly, then probably they aren't. But most of the time, most people that understand yes. language and the way it is used in the modern way understand what a dog whistle is. It's a coded, unspoken reference to a particular ideology. In this particular case, it's anti-Semitism. I mean, it's the same thing in the UK. You often hear people talking about North Londoners, and, and you heard that phrase used at this conference as well. And some people would say that, well, when I mean a North Londoner, I'm North Londoner, I mean an Islington-type Corbynista. But yes. the fact is that an awful lot of people use North Londoners as a coded anti-Semitic dog whistle. Yes. And the, the the chair of the Edmund Burke Foundation, as I say, is is um, a, a Jerusalem-dwelling uh, Orthodox Jewish man. Said, so "How could it possibly be anti-Semitic when you know there are so many of us Jews at the at the conference?" I, I leave that open. Um, I you know. This debate is going on, but they, uh, I would say that these people are religious fundamentalists. There was a, uh, a fundamentalist Catholic speaker there, fundamentalist Jewish speaker there, um, and, and fundamentalist Christians of all descriptions railing against the demise of the family, uh, railing against divorce, railing against low birth rates as a neo-Marxist conspiracy. Really extraordinary stuff, Eamon. And um, I, I, I certainly would urge anybody to take a look. at the, It's all available online, all of these speeches. Take a look and be horrified by what you see. Yes. Now, Suella Braverman is in Rishi Sunak's government. She's a senior position of Home Secretary. She's trying to put through policies that are really are unpleasant and will undoubtedly fail because immigration to Britain. Her predecessor, Priti Patel, was also mad about stopping people coming. More than ever, they're coming, and significantly more than ever. The question is this. Rishi Sunak looks weak to me. And if he wasn't, he would sack Suella Braverman because she said things the other day that are not party policy and that, in fact, contradict party policy. However, 
Boris Johnson is looking for his next gig. And I'm asking this question of you because you're well-placed to answer it. Many people have said many times, Boris Johnson is finished. Who better to lead this sort of gang, if you like, than the charismatic, smiling, populist, popular Boris Johnson? If they were to hold a leadership election that went to the members of the Conservative Party, the people that are card-carrying members of the Conservative Party, remember this didn't happen when Sunak became leader. He was acclaimed rather than yes. voted for. If and the, it went, and, the, and the, sorry, the Conservative Party members are very angry about that. Yes, and I have no doubt that if Boris Johnson was to stand in a leadership election today, that those same voters would vote, vote Boris Johnson back into the position of being Tory leader and therefore prime minister. The, the, the big question is what's going to happen after the next general election. As I've said before, yes. I've always thought, I've thought for some time now that we were heading for a hung parliament a la 2010 and there would have to be some kind of coalition between Labour and the Lib Dems for Keir Starmer to be prime minister. People have passed the local election results in quite granular detail now and have noticed a couple of things. The most important of which is that tactical voting now is something that's a real phenomenon in the UK and that people are voting in every single constituency that you can think of for the candidate most likely to beat the Tory. Yes. This is new. It's, um, it, it's something that we're only just uh, beginning to understand and that people like me and other political analysts are saying, well, we were thinking that it looked like a hung parliament, but now if that pattern of voting is repeated at the general election, Keir Starmer is prime minister. Right. Now, if, and that's the, that seems to be the growing consensus amongst people that know how to analyze political results properly. Obviously, there's a long way to go, over a year, possibly till the next election, lots can happen. But that's the situation we're in at the moment. So what that means for the Suella Bravamans of this world, and also Kemi Badenoch, the two uh, people who fancy themselves most as the next leader of the Conservative Party, is that Sunak will lose and that therefore that he will go and that there will be an election. And so th the race is has already started. You might think it bizarre, but we are currently at the start of the race for the next Conservative leader. There's a lots of ifs and buts in that process, but they are clearly campaigning. And the way in which they're campaigning is really interesting, particularly Bravoman. She is uh, trying to appeal to this uh, rump of voters, the 60 or 70,000, we think, card-carrying members of the Conservative Party, to whom all this stuff of conservative nationalism that was spoken about at this conference, it does appeal. I don't think it appeals to many more people in the country than those 60 or 70,000 voters, but they're the ones that are going to be the, the people electing Sunak's successor. So I think the reason why Braverman is doing this is because she's definitely running to succeed Sunak in 18 months' time or so. What, what that actually means for the Conservative Party, if, if the, the manifesto of the Conservative Party becomes the manifesto that we saw uh, laid out in front of us in Westminster at this conference this week, is that she too will never be elected as Prime Minister. At least I hope that's the case, because I would suspect the Conservative Party would be out for at least a generation if that were the case. But this is the direction in which we are being dragged. She's in the cabinet because Sunak is aware that the Farages, the, the far right of, the, of, of Britain, uh, have been sniping away at the Conservative vote for years now. It scared Cameron 
into calling that Brexit referendum yes. in the first place, one of the things that we can be grateful for is that the Reform Party, the successor to UKIP, came nowhere in those local elections. It's beginning to look, the, the simple thing that the change of name from UKIP to Reform means that nobody actually knows who they are because the, the opinion polls say that nobody actually recognises Reform yes. as the renamed UKIP party, so they've made a strategic error. But they, but because of their own history of, I mean, John, do you remember John Major called them his bastards? The people, yes. I excuse my language, but that's a quote for the, for the far right that continuously, and the, the anti-European far right that continually sniped at him. They've been around for, for decades in the Conservative Party, and that's what Sunak, like the previous leaders of the Conservative Party, are running scared from. And he wants to keep Suella Braverman in the Lyndon Johnson way. You might remember the famous quote about being inside and outside the tent. I do. Yeah, it's better to be inside peeing out yes. than it was outside a bit more, peeing out. A bit more graphic than that. <laughs> But she, yep. he, he, she's, she's in the cabinet because she represents this far-right vote, and um, which now has a long tradition in the Conservative Party. And th this is his way of trying to stop the far-right causing him trouble. But that even within the cabinet, as you rightly say, they are causing him a lot of trouble. And people are asking questions about this conference this week. One of the many questions is, where is Sunak on all of this? Why, why is it... Why is it um, why you know why are non-entities like Matt Hancock the ones speaking up for true conservative values, and why isn't Sunak doing it? One final question: Liz Truss is back, Chris. She was prime minister briefly. It was a bad experience for millions of British people who are paying obscene amounts of money for their mortgages and other things. Liz Truss this week did a solo run. She went to Taiwan. The former British Prime Minister, indeed the former British Home Secretary, went to Taiwan. It was provocative. It drew some fire from Beijing. But clearly Liz Truss, who is very right-wing, is planning a comeback. There's clearly no discipline. Does this testify to Rishi Sunak's weakness, Truss? Braverman, Jacob Rees-Mogg, Jeffrey Donaldson in the North and the DUP, all of them seem to be ignoring him and doing their own thing. What's happening to Sunak? Well, I, th I think there, is the, there are two possible sources of Sunak's weakness. I think we can all observe just how weak he is, whether that's his weakness as a politician or whether it's his position is so weak, I'm yeah. not sure, but it, we can see the visible weakness. The weakness of his position is essentially the state of the UK. And as you and I have discussed many times before, the UK is an economy that hasn't grown for 15 years. It's, an, it's a place where nothing seems to work anymore, everything from the railways to the NHS to many different public services. It's in a complete mess. And a lot of that mess is economic in nature. When you don't have economic growth, um, the, the political fights over the spoils of the economy, who gets what, become very nasty, and that's what we're seeing at the moment. And he's had to put taxes up to a 70-year high because the, no growth in the economy means no growth in tax revenues, but the pressures on public spending, as we know from all of the strikes and the state of the NHS, are huge. So his position, at the very least, is incredibly weak. And the only thing that can strengthen it is if the economy were to start growing again, and there is no sign of that 
um, literally none at all. It is just flatlining. So his position is going to stay very, very weak. And um, one of the things, therefore, from this leadership election is that it's not just Suella Braverman, it's not just Kemi Badenoch, it's those ex-prime ministers like Johnson yes. um, who are thinking, well, will I stand when that election comes around in 18 months' time? And I think that, you know, those ex-prime ministers um, visiting Taiwan, sniping from the sidelines of making million-pound speeches like Johnson is doing. Liz Truss was described in the, in the press this week by um, an unidentified ex-cabinet minister who was also identified as being somewhat, something of a fan of, of Liz Truss, bizarrely. She has still some left. And um, he quite happily described her. She, she, he said, she is like a cockroach. You, you can't get rid of her. She keeps coming back. And the only thing about going to Taiwan and cockroaches is that when you start a nuclear war, we think that the only survivors are going to be the cockroaches. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, going to Taiwan is, a, as we know from the... Um, and Nancy Pelosi's visit last year is extremely inflammatory for the Chinese. Now you might you might be worried about that. You might not be, but you know she clearly wants to stay on the stage, and um, she too will be thinking about standing again when that leadership election takes place, if it takes place um, after the next general election. So the Tory party is in a complete mess, but it's a reflection of the mess that the UK is in as a whole. And the, the key message is that that's not going to change very quickly. It's certainly not going to change before the next general election. No, the Tories own it. Chris, thank you very much indeed for joining us today. Chris Johns and Jim Power, who is another one of our very valued contributors. They have their own podcast. It's very good. It's called The Other Hand. And we're grateful to Chris, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.